Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Day Overthinker Podcast. I am your host, Colin. This episode is specially dedicated for Suicide Awareness Month. I was able to have my friend Katie on the podcast. Uh, she recently had a suicide attempt a little over a month ago, and uh, I was talking to her, and she was talking about sharing her story, and I was like, well, let's have you on the podcast, and she was all about it. She did not hold back. She was very honest and open, very brave, and there's a couple trigger warnings here that are going to be brought up, Uh, so if you are someone uh, that easily gets uh, triggered by certain things, uh, you'll get warned uh, at least once throughout the podcast. Otherwise, I mean, definitely uh, not safe for work, Uh, something you want to listen to on your own with headphones or in the car by yourself, Uh, a lot of good insight, uh, something to learn about suicide and what goes through someone's brain when they're, you know, when they're in that really dark place and some tips on how to get out of that dark place or what to do if you're in that dark place. So this is a very special episode and I hope you enjoy it and share it with your friends, subscribe so that way you'll get notifications when the next podcast drops. My name is Colin. Uh, as most of you know, uh, this is the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My guest today is Katie. I won't say her last name. She can say her last name if she wants to. Uh, but we wanted to do a podcast because um, this month is Suicide Awareness Month, and I really wanted to talk about that and uh, spread the awareness and uh, have someone share their story and um, it just so happens that uh, me and Katie have become really good friends lately and she has a story to tell so uh, Katie will start it out by introducing yourself and uh, we'll go from there hi Colin <laughs> and the world and the I'm world Katie Benson um, yeah, I tried to commit suicide. I think it was about a month ago today. Was it? It was. Uh, it was on a Sunday. It was on a Saturday. It was actually Saturday. I tried twice. Oh yeah, because you ran back and got more stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't run back. I already had it there. I, I tried twice and was not successful both times. Clearly. Well, the second time that's because somebody found you. And um, I guess I will kind of start with my backstory. Yeah, we'll start with the backstory. It's kind of what led up to getting into that dark place where you, I mean, because you were, it wasn't just like a spur of the moment thing. No. Where you were like, oh, today's, this is what I'm going to do. And this is happening. Or you weren't all messed up already or anything like that. It was kind of a planned Quite elaborate, somewhat elaborate plan. It was was definitely planned, and I have thought about suicide most of my life, I would say. Uh, I grew up in a household where 
there was a lot of secrets and we didn't show our true selves. There wasn't a lot of talking. I'm not a big talker and I didn't know. I, my brain isn't wired to be vulnerable and to show people my full self. I uh, have been working on some steps lately. I'm a part of a fellowship and the most profound thing that I found so far doing these steps was I have never shown anybody my whole self in my entire life. In 32 years, I've never been completely honest with another human being ever in my entire life. 32 years this week. Happy late birthday. Thank you. Um, you know, I grew up in a house where my parents, I had both my parents. Um, they weren't around a whole lot, but when they were there, they were very emotionally unavailable and I didn't have any family where I lived and I didn't have any other adults and I didn't have a lot of friends and I didn't really have anybody I was comfortable with confining in and you know so I grew up not even knowing how to do that so I started I really my life has been built on secrets and lies and deceit that's what I learned from a very very young age and you know, I wasn't abused as a child. I didn't go hungry, um, but I guess my my first big so basic needs met. Ba basic needs met my. Um, can we put a trigger warning on this? You can put a trigger warning. Okay. Um, my first big secret was I had a babysitter. So trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> I had a babysitter that I was four years old that would show me porn. I thought I started early and then you told me this. And um, so I learned how to masturbate at four years old and um, nobody ever knew that. My parents didn't know. I didn't tell kids growing up because no kids were doing that at that age. And, um, you know, they that got away at least a few more years for people. Yeah, to that about. was my way. You know, I would have these fantasies in my head of being loved and people loving me. And that that was the love and attention that I was getting. I get, and gave escape. it and escape. I was giving it to myself at a very early age. And, you know, I, I held on to that secret until very recently. I finally um, told somebody about that. And then just as a child, you know, I didn't want people to think that I didn't come from a loving home. So I would lie about things like, what did your mom make you for breakfast? Oh, my mom made me waffles when really I had like frosted flakes or yeah, something, or just something, stupid yeah. shit. And like I grew up in a trailer and I would tell people that I lived in a mansion down by the beach and you know. She grew just, up in Virginia Beach. I grew up in Virginia Beach, yeah. My dad was in the, the Navy and the rest of my family lived here. And I would get to see this family here a couple, a couple weeks every summer, but it was almost like very bittersweet because I knew that I had to go back to that house. And when I was here, you know, I wasn't, really comfortable enough with these adults and with my cousins to tell them she about. She didn't know them that well. You only see them a couple times right, a year, once a year. How, how bad it was. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I started doing everything alone. You know, a lot of kids, when they start 
drinking and doing drugs and stuff. They do it at parties and stuff like that. And I started smoking cigarettes by myself. I started drinking alone by myself. The first time I smoked weed was by myself. You were just stealing it all from your parents, I assume? Uh, yeah. Uh, the first time I started doing pills every day was by myself. And, you know, I wasn't doing it to be cool. So no one taught you this? No, nobody, really. nobody taught me this. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing it to be cool. I wasn't doing it to be accepted. It was survival. Yeah. It was because I hated myself and I hated my life since I can remember. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I finally got out of that environment and um, I moved in with a family member here. My mom has three sisters. And uh, I moved Here, in. And here's the Quad Cities. Here's the Quad way. Cities. I moved into um, my aunt's house, and she had never had a teenager live with her before, and I had never had. She doesn't have children of her own. She had two children, but okay. they were little. Okay. And I had never had an adult figure, you know, having expectations of me and wanting to know where I was at. And, you know, caring about me. I didn't know. Neither of us knew. Because you could kind of do whatever you wanted. Oh, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, nobody, you know, nobody. And you probably hated that at first or a little bit. I, I liked the structure of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, then, of course. But I, you were how old again? 17? 17. Yeah. I was 17. And, you know, her expectations of me were to get a job and go to school mm -hmm. and be there for a family dinner. And I did all those things. Um, I, you know, applied at, I was going to school at Blackhawk. I got a job. Work was always super important to me. I was always a super hard worker. My parents instilled anything in me. It was like your job comes first before anything, before school, before friends, before um, before anything. And so I always had a really good work ethic. I knew how to take care of myself from a really young age. And, you know, so I had all those things. And of course, I nosed out the, you know, people that had what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I started lying to her and telling her I was at somebody else's house when really I was going to Chicago and going to raves and doing psychedelics and doing all sorts of crazy shit. And, you know, she didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. You know, she had no idea what to do. And so she decided that I couldn't live with her anymore. And, you know, throughout this whole time, and that was with her was the first time that I had actually gone to um, treatment because there was a day at her house that I had freaked out and she immediately took me to Robert Young okay. and I did um, an outpatient program there and I saw a psychiatrist and a therapist and was it substance abuse or just mental health? Just mental health. Okay. She didn't know that I was what I was what doing. What you were doing, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I got put on some psych meds for depression and anxiety and bipolar and was 
doing group therapy and I think I even had a therapist for a little while and I think it was shortly after that uh, when I got kicked out and stopped taking the meds completely and when your aunt kicked you out when when she kicked me out and then you know just like before I thought everything is my parents' fault and not taking any responsibility yeah. for anything, then everything was my aunt's fault. Yeah, because she kicked you out. Yeah, and so, you know, I had this deep resentment for her and my whole family and felt very alone because I didn't know anybody. I just knew my family here and the yeah. few people that you knew or the people you partied with right the few people that I had met so you know I kind of bounced around for a little while and found a few places to live and ended up um one of the guys that I got you know started partying with ended up dating him and got into a completely new reality of psychedelics and ecstasy and this whole new world and this wave scene and I thought okay I found my people I found all these people from broken homes and they were happy and they were organizing these like music festivals and doing all this stuff and I for the first time in my whole life I felt like I belonged I felt like I was accepted and, um, you know, but at the end of the day, these people weren't going to let me crash on their couch. They weren't going to lend me money. They weren't going to point me into a direction that I needed to go into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I spent 10 years in that false reality. And, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of substituting one thing for another. There was a lot of depression and madness and you know the bottom line was I I still at the end of the day couldn't look at myself and tell myself that I loved myself and I was happy with my life but you know I was I was too far gone to actually get any help of course I thought about it I thought about Mm -hmm. like Maybe I should go see a doctor for this and, you know. Yeah, it's easy to think about it. <laughs> I know you. really easy to yeah. think about it. And, you know, I think I got away with a lot of things. I got away with drinking and driving a lot. I got away with selling drugs. I got away with growing drugs. I got away with a lot of things. And, you know, that made me feel invincible. Yeah. And it made me feel like... I was, I was invincible until I got my DUI. I felt like I could yeah. do whatever. Right. I'm like, I'm a white woman in America. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And, you know, I always I always had a place to live. I always had a car. I always had a job. So I never really thought that I had a problem. I thought that everybody was just not happy. Yeah. And just people didn't talk about it. Because most of the people you associated with were doing that. Yeah. You know, we just did drugs and got high. And, you know, that wasn't really a thing that people talked about. And even with the people that I was getting high with, they they didn't know the full extent of what I was... Your background. What I was doing. And they didn't know how I really felt 
deep down that was empty. Yeah. I was empty. I was an empty shell of a person. I was scared all the time. I lived in fear, you know, that somebody was going to find something out about me or I was going to get in trouble for something or... Did you, you know. think, did you ever have the fear that you were going to be, this is one of my fears and I've still had this fear today, that you were going to be like ostracized, like no one's going to like you and you're not going to have any friends, you're going to be completely alone. Yeah, I, th- I thought if I got out of the scene and I told people, you guys are doing way too much. Yeah. I thought that I was going to be alone again, so I just did. Just kept doing it. I just kept doing what everybody else was doing. And, um, you know, I, during all this, I have a child and I don't, you know, I don't use or smoke or drink or do anything while I'm pregnant with her. And then the second I get out of the hospital, I'm getting high again and doing the same shit again and, you know, put her through the same shit that I was going through, which I promised myself that I would never do. I always, you know, told myself if I ever had kids, I was going to do the complete opposite of what they did. And I found myself hating myself even more because I was doing the exact same thing. They were in worse. My parents were just alcoholics. I was doing everything and having people over like we never had people over when I was a kid it was all yeah my parents drank a little bit when we were they would go to the bar they would go they drank a little bit at home but they would go out to the bar but I was doing this shit like right in front of her face you know oh just I want to sidetrack real quick uh on a lighter note not really a lighter note, but remember you. T- I remember you telling me that you thought that everybody's family or parents had like their own bar, and that was like their. Yeah. <laughs> uh, explain that to me again. So, um, so my house was the quintessential like white trash trailer. You walk into the house, and stuff. my mom and dad had a curial cabinet. A Hope you know what that is. It's a glass cabinet with like a mirror behind it. And in it was Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Jr. memorabilia. Oh, yeah. And these fucking stupid glass eggs. And we had like Budweiser and Marlboro shit everywhere. And my dad had this little pin on our bulletin board that said, I'm a member of Smokey's Bar. So I thought everybody's parents were a member of a bar. We were a member of a bar, and I thought everybody's parents smoked. I thought everybody's dad was in the navy because I grew up and were like base or uh, near right next to a base. It was like the biggest naval base in the country, Mm -hmm. and I just thought that that's the way that the world worked. I didn't know that there was like other types of people in the world. Until you really get out of like get out on your own, you really don't. Yeah. You don't really realize that much. You're in your own little world until you realize, oh, the world is a lot bigger and there's a lot of different people from different backgrounds. It's insane. Especially if you're like kind of like sheltered a little bit into that world as well. Because that's kind of how I grew up. I wasn't like completely sheltered, but I mean, I went to private school and like, you know, mostly hung out with uh, 
people that were Catholic and that came from decent families, um, and for the most part, uh, or at least they had families that pretended like they were decent families, yeah. uh, things like that. Uh, but as far as like, I had to go out of my way to hang out with people that were not from similar backgrounds for me until I got to college, then it completely opened up from there. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just like, you think, I thought a lot of things when I was a kid, like everybody does this, everybody, every mm -hmm. family goes to church every Sunday, everybody <laughs> no, does this. Definitely not. That's, what, that's what I thought. Everybody's parents are hung over on Sunday, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally get where you're coming from there. So let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, so eventually uh, you got to the point where you had a, enough of that lifestyle um, and decided to, uh, you know, find a, a better way to live, as we say. Yes. Um, so let's already, fast forward there. I already knew um, of a better way. I already knew of a fellowship. I had somebody very close to me that was a part of this fellowship. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't preach to me and, you know, they didn't try to convert me or anything. And I just, which is had, surprising knowing him. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, a, a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't he would know. throw a little bit at you every once in a while. You know, a little bit, but yeah. I also lied to him a lot and, you know, told okay. him that everything was okay. And I didn't really have a dope dealing boyfriend living in my house with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a lot of, mixed views on the fellowship I just I didn't believe that it was what everybody said that it was I thought that this is the person that I am and I thought that because I had a house and I had my kid and I had a car and a job that I had things under control but you didn't qualify yeah, I thought that I wasn't, I was either not as fucked up as you guys, or I was way too fucked up for you guys, and I just needed to be locked away in like a psych ward or something, because yeah. there was no way anybody could help me, because nobody helped me before. I always did everything on my own, so how could anybody else help me? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to kick the dope dealing boyfriend out. And, um, well, first I started on methadone and then I kicked the dope dealing boyfriend out Gotcha. because I wanted an easier, softer way, the easy way out. Yeah. I wanted it. I didn't want to feel the pain of withdrawal. I didn't want, you know, which is terrible of, from all I've it heard. is, yeah. it is, it's the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Any sickness, like every sickness there is on the planet balled into to one thing. And it's, How would you compare it to, you've had COVID. How would you compare it to COVID? It was a cakewalk. Or COVID, COVID a is cake, a cakewalk compared, compared to, to that. And you had some side effects from COVID and you didn't feel great. No. I, I would take COVID a hundred times before I took dope sickness for one day. Yeah, withdraws one of the biggest reasons why people don't, why people are so afraid to, to get off. Even though they the know they need to, yeah. Right. Whether it's methadone or, or whether it's heroin, it's just like, yeah, I know I need to stop doing this, but if I stop doing this, I'm gonna get really sick. I'm gonna get sick. I'm not gonna be able to go to work. I'm not gonna be able to take care of my kids. I'm not gonna be able to function. 
I'm not going to be able to fucking get out of bed. Yeah. And, you know, so this other way was offered. and Other legal way. Another legal way, yeah. It was prescribed by a doctor, and I had it in my head that, you know, it... Well, I was on methadone, and I came into the program, and I did tell a couple of people. I told my sponsor, and I told one other person. Oh, okay. And I did not know that. I was on it for about five months, and then there was a weekend where I couldn't get it. And because um, you have to go there, like, Saturday. They're only open until, like, 8 o'clock. For a while, you have to go every day. Right. You have to go every day except for Sunday. And I decided instead of like talking to somebody about it or doing something about it, that's when I used. That's when I called my guy up and I used again. And then that Monday I was like, I, or that Sunday I decided I didn't want to go back to the clinic and I try, I didn't go back for like Four days, and then finally on Friday, I was like... You were using this whole time? No. No, I wasn't using anything. I was like, I'm just going to try to do this cold turkey. And you regretted that decision. And by Friday, I was like, okay, I'm going back. So, of course, they graciously welcomed me back to the methadone clinic because that's what they do. Yeah. And I got back on it, and um, that's when I restarted my clean date. And when I came back, I didn't tell anybody that I was back on methadone well only two people knew anyways beforehand beforehand and you know I was just I was ashamed that I couldn't do it by myself I was ashamed that I couldn't just do just get through withdrawal I was afraid of what people would think Mm -hmm. and you know I you know they had told me at the clinic they're like yeah you can get off anytime you want and you know, I'd talked to them a couple times about it, and, you know, it's just one of those things that you're just, you're on it, and... You're just used to it, and you're like... And you really didn't get high from it after a while. Like, right. It would, right. I, I didn't feel high, and, you know, they kind of say in the program, you're clean when you say you are, and, um, you know, it's up to you, and your sponsor and your higher power and I just left those other two parts out and just kept it to myself yeah and there's kind of a stigma behind uh drug replacement therapies such as methadone and suboxone or suboxone however you pronounce it um and so yeah people are afraid to bring that up or talk about it and you know some people say you know this person's not truly clean or truly sober, however, whatever word you use, describe it. Uh, And so, yeah, so basically you took the approach, like, instead of bringing it up, I'm just not going to say anything, and I'm just going to keep this to myself and keep doing my thing, but still, it's not like you didn't do recovery or didn't do any steps or didn't have a sponsor or didn't go to meetings. Uh, You just... And you were honest about basically everything else. Right. Uh, and just you kept that to yourself. And then that's kind of, it just ate at you from what I've gathered and what you've told me so far. I was, I didn't lie about things, but I definitely wasn't as vulnerable 
and as honest as I could. Because you had to go, like, get this stuff, and, like, you were around other people, and then you had to take it, and, like, you would have had to lie a lot about that, right? Right. Okay. Right. And you that obviously added to the shame. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of fear of what if somebody finds out. Yeah. And then, you know, just the feeling of, you know, going into a meeting and feeling like I am... You know, I, I blocked a lot of it out. You know, I did a lot of rationalization and justification. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I could definitely feel, you know, this pit in my stomach that I, there was something that I was hiding. And that's something that you cannot do in this program. You have to be rigorously honest. Yes. And that is something that I was not doing, and I was not getting what the most that I could out of the program. And the first, I would say, year and a half was pretty easy for me to kind of skate by because I had a night job, and I could always use that as an excuse to. Yeah, because I didn't see a lot of the first year. To not um, come to meetings, and then COVID happened. And it wasn't working. And I started to go to more meetings. I started working out. I started eating better. I started feeling better. But right before COVID happened, I remember really feeling really low. Like, is this what, is this all life is? I'm not getting high anymore. What am I doing? I'd rather die than feel this way. And I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. And I was feeling really bad. But then... You know, then I started to feel okay because, you know, I was taking care of myself. I was going to meetings. I was making the connections that I could make. And then I started dating somebody in the program who was super big into the program. And I started really getting involved and really making friendships. And, um, you know, then that's when it really started eating at me because then that's when I really had to start you know, lying a little bit more to... there was more people involved. There, there was more people. I was at more meetings. I was sharing more. And, you know, again, I wasn't, like, lying about the things that I was sharing, but I... keeping that out. I wasn't... I wasn't being my full self, and I wasn't able to be completely vulnerable, and I wasn't able to make deep connections with people and I wasn't able to have compassion for people and I didn't I didn't think that I didn't truly think that other people liked me or loved me because I didn't love myself so how could anybody else like me Mm -hmm. or or love me and um you know just a year and a half well it was three years but I mean, the brunt of it was the, the last last year and a half was the last year. But, you know, again, I was so my brain is just wired since I was a little kid to have secrets. You know, my my brain is wired to not be vulnerable and not show that side of me. And, you know, so I just didn't have the ability to be completely honest and be vulnerable. Like I literally didn't have that ability to do that. I didn't know how to, I had no idea how to do that. You were scared to, obviously. I was, 
I was frightened. Horrified, I, yeah. I was fucking horrified. I, I can't even put into words how afraid I was for anybody to find out the the true me or mm-hmm. find out the secret. And, you know, obviously it ate at me and ate at me and ate at me. And then I would say the the two tipping points were when I picked up my three years. I had a room full of people there. And I mean, some of them were there for me. Some of them were just there for the meeting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they handed me my my three years and I just started bawling like I've never cried like that in a meeting in my life and part of it was because there was so many people there for me and the other part was because of how guilty I felt Mm -hmm. for having the secret and I almost just wanted to just give the chip back and just be like no this is what's really happening and you know, so that that was a big part of it. And then people were, like, going around the room, like, talking about me. And I just felt so bad. I just felt like such a sham. And I just felt talking like Talking about shit. you in a good way. Talking about me in a yeah. good way about how proud. Everybody, yeah. yeah. How proud they were of me and how far I've come and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, if they really knew what I was doing, they would hate me. I would be alone again. No one, you know, I'd be ostracized from this program and I would have nobody. And um, the other one was I started taking this birth control and that just, just let out this beast. And I, for the first time, was telling people when it was actually happening that I felt like suicidal because before I would feel suicidal and then maybe tell somebody afterwards like oh I felt I felt suicidal the last couple days and now I feel better but this time I was actually telling people like I feel suicidal and I feel crazy and depressed and I don't know what to do about it and you know they helped me the best way that they knew how Uh, They didn't know why I felt like this, and I came close to saying it, but I just, I just, the words just could not come out of my mouth. They just literally could not come out. And, um, you know, so I made, I made a plan. I made a plan of how I was going to do it. I made sure that my daughter was somewhere safe. Um, you know, I lied to my job. I lied to people about where I was going to be at. And, um, you know, another part of it was my daughter spending a lot of time with one of her aunts, um, who, you know, has always worked really hard and has her shit together and like goes on vacations to Hawaii. I thought that Lucy would be better off with, with her, with her. And she would, is being a better mother than me, and I'm never going to be able to give her what um, she was giving her. And, you know, so that was that was a piece of it, too, was mm. I'm not being the mother that I want to be either. And, yep, so, so I made the plan and followed through with it. Kind of. I, I tried the I first mean, you night. you followed through with what you were, you tried. 
I tried. I tried the first night to get everything down that I wanted to get down, and that didn't happen. Woke up, tried again the next day. Yeah, because you threw everything up. Mm, I think so. Tried again the next day, and then uh, somebody from the program found me. And I wasn't very coherent when they found me. I barely remember them coming to get me. And they took me to the ICU. And I barely remember being in there either. But I do know that I do remember knowing that um, there was a group of people outside worried sick about me wanting to know what was going on, trying to get in to see me, caring about me, loving me. And then they took me to um, they took me to a psych ward and I wasn't alone in there. I had visitors. I had people coming in saying that they still loved me, that they understood why I did what I did, that that's what we do as addicts. That's what we fucking do. We lie and manipulate and we use. That's our nature. And that they weren't mad at me, that they were just happy that I was okay and still alive and they weren't going to hold anything against me and they wanted me still there. There was a girl I was like supposed to be in her wedding and I was like, she's probably not going to want me to be in her wedding now. She's like, you got to be there, right? You're still being in my wedding. I was like, I'm still going to be in your wedding? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I thought that if this secret... <laughs> you didn't void the uh, invitation. No, I thought if this secret came out, I was going to be all alone again and, you know, alone for real. Like, I getting kicked out of this program, like, that you got to... You really fucked up to get it kicked out of this. Yeah, program. I remember when you told me when I went and visited you, and you told me, and I just like laughed. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, that that was that was it. Uh, because I don't know, I am a very like work your own program kind of person. Um, it's between you and your sponsor, or you and. If you have something prescribed by a doctor, it's not technically, you're not technically using things like that. Um, that's where I'm at. I've always been at. So I was just like, I also didn't know very much about methadone at all because that wasn't really something. Um, I was more of an uppers guy than a downers guy. So I didn't really know anything about all of that uh, until I've obviously learned a lot more from you about that since. But, um, yeah, I remember visiting you, and the uh, the power was out. Um, I barely remember that. You barely remember that? Mm -hmm. I remember seeing you, yeah. but I don't really remember the power being out. Because uh, I made sure the lights were off in my room because I was detoxing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the lights were definitely off, and they <laughs> had to be off. There was no <laughs> way of turning them on. So, and I just remember... I was like, this is so ominous, like I'm in an ominous dark room uh, <laughs> with, with somebody in the psych ward. And then like, you know, like those rooms are so like bare and there's just a bed and a bathroom and a shelf and a chair. And that's it. Yeah. The place is awful. 
Yeah. I never want to go back. Yeah. Not saying anything against. I mean, it's where you needed to be. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. But I remember you just telling me, I am so bored. <laughs> All I've done is sleep. And then I remember uh, somebody bringing you some things to do so that you actually had something to do because it wasn't like a TV or anything like that. Um, at least there was a community TV, right? Yeah. But there wasn't like a TV in your room. Or I didn't really want to. Even when people did bring me things to do, I was detoxing. So you were trying to sleep it off. Yeah, as well as I could. I mean, you yeah. can't really sleep very well when you're uh, when you're detoxing. When your body's just all doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Right, you know? and it was. Yeah. I do remember, and I still remember, um, being happy that it didn't work, being happy that I'm still alive and that I'm still here. And for the first time in my life ever truly believing that there were people that loved and cared about me and wanted me around and you know now that the secret is out and I you know truly believe that it's been a game changer and I and I do feel like I didn't like I said I didn't feel high when I was on methadone, but it is a strong painkiller. And so um, on Suboxone now I've been tapering off of it. I can definitely feel a difference. Like I think I might have carpal tunnel, <laughs> and because my arm, my like upper arms or whatever your for my forearms keep hurting and like my first day back at work like I felt like I got hit by a freight train and I'm feeling like all sorts of like new emotions and feelings and so I can definitely tell like a huge difference between the two and um you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy to be alive today and that I've never felt like that before. I've never just been happy to, to be around. And, you know, I think the biggest part of that is, is I'm being honest today and I'm like developing deep connections with people for the first time today. And part of me is like, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but I feel like like a baby I feel like an infant like literally learning how to talk again and how to walk again and how to eat again and how to have friendships and how to do all these things again for the it feels like for the first time in my entire life because it kind of is yeah, I've been can. I've been hiding I've been a, I've been whatever I needed to be whenever I needed to be it for basically my entire life and I'm excited to see where it goes yeah and it's um yeah it's amazing like the and the changes that other people have noticed as well as you, what you've noticed because people have told you like I can see like a totally different person it's like it's like kind of like uh you have like more light in your eyes. Um, you can just tell like you're more. People tell me I'm hot now. <laughs> you were hot before. Okay. Nobody ever told me I got cute. 
You got I got cute. cute and adorable, and then since then, I've literally everybody tells me how hot I am. I'm like, when did I get hot? <laughs> when did I get hot? Uh, <laughs> well, you're being honest, so they're being honest. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's it. Me, I just don't tell anyone how I feel about them. Like when it comes to women, I have a weird. We've talked about that. <laughs> um, I'm getting better at being more honest about that. Um, more open, I should say. Yeah. It's not like I'm not honest. I just don't say anything at all out of fear. Um, but I'm working on that. But what what I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, since you've kind of bounced back, I mean, you're bouncing back. Yeah. And you're figuring out, you're trying not to do, you're trying to make new mistakes, trying not to repeat what you did before, and that's, you know, keep that secret uh, that you held on to for so long. And it seems like there's always some uh, from other people that I've, uh, you know, either heard about committing suicide or attempting suicide. There's always something that they're keeping from someone or somebody or everyone that has kept them, you know, puts them in that dark place and gets them to that point where they're just like, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and then it's usually, a, I mean, it's usually a variety of things, but yeah. there's, but that's usually involved. Yeah. Uh, so if you had to look back on things, obviously you would have not attempted suicide, um, I would guess. Or maybe, because um, I heard the first day, this is dark, but uh, that uh, I didn't visit you the first day. Uh, you were in the hospital, but I had heard that you were pissed that it didn't work, and that you were, like, frustrated, like, I, that you did not succeed at what you were trying to do, which I can understand in some aspects. Um, but I might have been joking because I have a really dark sense of humor. Like, I couldn't even fucking kill myself, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that sounds more accurate. Um, I don't think I wasn't pissed that it didn't You're just work. like, damn, I can't even do that, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I understand, yeah. Yeah. The dark sense of humor. I definitely get that. But if you were to like go back in time, uh, obviously we can't go back in time. But just to give somebody a perspective who might be in that place, or might be holding a secret, or might be have a plan already, um, what would you do differently, or what would you have, you know, what what would you have tried to do differently that you obviously didn't do that brought you to that point? I know it's kind of a loaded question, but I'm just trying to get, you know, a little bit more um, of an insight as to, and also just put the message out there that, you know, that you can, you don't have to do that. You don't have to get to that point. Um, So I don't know, basically just, what would be your advice to somebody that's really struggling and that's in that place or that's where you were at? What would you have done to maybe change uh, getting to that breaking point? I guess. My I biggest should. advice would be to tell one other person. At least one. At least. Even if it's fucking calling the suicide hotline and telling those people, tell somebody even if there's a line you can text too because some people like they don't want to talk you know 
even if it's not um, something you want out in the open immediately, just telling one other person, this is why I want to do this, and this is honestly why. I wish I would have done that. Because if I would have just told one other person in confidence, the secret didn't have to come out all at once. Yeah. You know, it could have come out to the people that were the closest to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't all have to come out and be this huge scandal or whatever I thought it was going to be. I wish that I, and I came really close to telling somebody, really, really close. I just, just, just tell somebody. Even if you don't you have. You had that in the back of your mind, like. Yep. Yep. Even if you don't have people in your life find somebody there's got to be somebody you can call i've seen people post stuff on social media that's gone viral or just like i don't know where else to turn and that's a last resort that you could go for too but yeah the suicide hotline there's a, i think you can even text the suicide hotline now um if you don't want some people like if you're like me you don't want to talk on the phone uh, like i've gotten to that place where, you know, i don't want to talk to anyone but i might be able to send a text you know or something i'll even put my number under here and you crazy people can call me because i understand exactly where you're at yeah i've actually had couple more than a couple people already reach out to me and tell me that they either did something or want to do something and they said it was because of what you did and I feel the most comfortable talking to you because I know where you were at. I know that you can relate to me and yeah. I can. And if you have been at that point and you've done something in the past or attempted suicide and you're you know, we're given a second chance. Uh, it's definitely good to share that as much as you can uh, with other people. Um, I mean, don't throw in their face, but just so it's out there in case somebody needs somebody to talk to. Because uh, the more people that share, the less that gets, you know, the less it's secretive and, you know, it's just going to be better. The world will be a better place. Yeah. Um, we give secrets way too much power. We give thoughts and feelings way too much power. Oh, I know. I definitely <laughs> yeah. give my obsessive thoughts about things a lot of power, and I let it control my day. I get something triggers me, or I think about something, and my brain just takes it and fucking runs with it. Mm-hmm. and it just feels like there's no way out, but there is a way out. I talk about it with somebody and get a new perspective on it, and that is the only thing that I can really say that helps is talking about it. And I, I, it, it used to be the last thing that I wanted to do. I'm like, I don't want to burden Sometimes somebody. Sometimes it still is for me. I mean, yeah, with certain things. But it seems like, like I have things that, I don't share. There's a certain thing I don't share with everybody, as you know. Uh, and the more I've shared that with people, the less it's the less power it has had over me. And uh, I was able to share that with somebody last night, and it was somebody that I've known for a long time that I knew wouldn't judge me, mm-hmm. but I still was scared. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Uh, 
just the what ifs, the doubt, and uh, you know, I have OCD, so I'm just gonna doubt everything. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that's just the way it works. But once I was able to share that with another person and be open about it, because I was, um, since we already are on the suicide topic and where that's the topic of the episode and suicide awareness is, uh, I was uh, probably 21, 22, 23, somewhere around there. Um, and, you know, I had a, uh, I had a secret. I had an obsessive thought that I could not get out of my head. And it was very, um, it was something that made me sick. And I knew that if I shared it with somebody um, that they wouldn't understand or that they would lock me up or whatever. And eventually it got to the point where it's like, I'm not going to share this with anyone, uh, but I do want to kill myself. But I was also at the point where it's like, I didn't, ha- I didn't have a plan though. Um, I just wanted it to end. I wanted the easiest way out possible. Um, for a while I just wanted some, I was like, I wish I would just, somebody would just come shoot me or something <laughs> right make it easy right you know um right or you know there's a fire and i save a bunch of people and then i die in the fire right <laughs> something like that um or at least i go out like a hero or something or it remembered that way um instead of uh doing it myself i was also just lazy <laughs> uh, I was I was quite the stoner at the time, so um, not want to actually go. Th- I wanted something to happen, um, and I did not want to live anymore. So yeah, I got taken to the emergency room because I did tell my parents that I was suicidal and that I didn't want to live. And this was one of the many times I lived with my parents uh, throughout my twenties. My twenties was a complete roller coaster until I got to be twenty-seven, basically. Uh, and I told them, uh, I didn't tell them exactly why, um, but I told them that I wanted to go to the ER, and that's when they were like, well, why are you suicidal? Why are you here? We need to know. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, I guess I got HIPAA going, (laughs) HIPAA has my back here. (laughs) And they were like, well, since it's something violent, um, cause I would have these violent thoughts about hurting somebody and, uh, and it, I would obsess over it and it's not something I actually wanted to do. And that's what OCD does. It gets caught up on a thought, uh, that is bad. And, um, it basically finds that little doubt, like, well, what if you really do want to do this? And then it feeds off of that. And that was what was happening. And I could not get this thought out of my head. And the only way I could thought that it could get out of my head is if my head stopped working. And, uh, you know, after I actually shared it and was open with it and uh, open about it, uh, one of the nurses was just like nonchalantly was just like, you know, everybody has those thoughts, right? (laughs) I was like, what? I was like, oh, I guess I didn't think about it that way. Um, and also I didn't know that and I wouldn't have known that without saying it, bringing it up, talking about it. 
Then they ended up giving me some, I think, Ativan or something, and I felt great, and we got ice cream. <laughs> um, and uh, then from there, I kind of, you know, I got back into therapy. I hadn't been going to therapy, and uh, it's been better since. I mean, had some lows since, um, and between that and getting clean, but that was the only time where it was just like, and it was a secret. It was something that I was holding up from everyone. I did not want to tell anyone I was going to take it to the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I've been able to, you know, share that with people, the less power that it's had and the more I've worked on it because those thoughts have changed um, a little bit. Um, they've shifted. I've been dealing with OCD since I was 14, 13, 14. So things have different obsessions and compulsions have changed i will always have this i will always have to deal with this but i don't have to deal with it by myself right that's the biggest thing is you can't try to do everything by yourself it's not gonna work out well for you not at all and uh and i was i was raised in a household where you know you know, it's like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get right. things done type of thing. And we don't we don't cry about stuff. And um, it wasn't like don't ever be vulnerable or don't tell me what's going on. But at the same time, um, I felt like, you know, be I had man. to be a man, get through it, do what you have to do and move on. Stop being a baby. And. It, uh, I think that's still instilled in me, instilled in me somewhere, and I think that's just like genetically instilled in me as a man. And society, it's gotten a little bit better, but um, yeah. Overall, the main thing that I would say uh, to everyone, uh, anyone that's struggling, is yeah, talk to somebody about it. You have to talk to somebody about it. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. And you have to go all out and share, dump the whole story. But just at least put that feeler out there to somebody and let them know, like, hey, I'm not doing well. I want to do this. This is why. Even if it's like a text, if you can't call. Like, for me, I don't like calling people when I'm really depressed or in a really bad mood. I don't answer the phone. Um, the phone weighs a thousand pounds or whatever, but it's true. Um, but yeah, um, trying to think of anything else I want to add to this. I'm going to be doing the suicide awareness walk on Sunday. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I think I, I thought I already told you about it, but anyway, if you're not doing anything Sunday, you're going with me. Okay. Um, my mom and my dad are going. Where is it? Uh, it's in Bettendorf somewhere. Okay. Uh, exact location. Oh, what time? Not sure, one o'clock. Ooh, you might be working still. Like I just tried to kill myself. Let me get off. That should. That seems like a pretty good excuse. Yeah. I walk on water over there right now. Yeah, they really like you there. Yeah. So. Well, because you have a good work ethic. I do. Good work ethic gets you a long way. And that, really that, is how, that has really saved me 
Uh, because if I didn't have a good work ethic, I would be, oh, man, way behind. That was something that's been instilled in me. But I can be lazy at times. But once I get going, once I start doing something, it's going to get done. And, yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what time it is. Oh, shit. Are we over or under? We're over. We have to. Not that I'm going to get. I don't think Josh is going to bill me for this, but uh, I have to uh, chair a meeting. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so we should probably wrap this up. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? The world is not going to be a better place because you are not in it. It will destroy people and cause a lot more sadness and chaos and destruction than you think. It's true. And a lot more people care about you than you think. Yep. So we will end on that. And I hope I can turn this thing off like I'm supposed to, like you told me to. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be funnier, not serious. So hopefully it didn't come off too serious. No, no, you're good. Okay. You have to say that.